welcome everyone to the Bumpcast. I am your host, Baloney. Um, that voice you hear is not HBIC. Um, we are about 46 podcasts in and our fearless leader is not with us today. Um, if you thought last week's show was a shit show, this might come off the rails big time. But as always, I'm joined by uh, Johnny, the Southside Bum, and a very Hello. special guest, um, long long overdue, um, quote unquote, soccer lunatic, Christopher King. Hey, uh, thank you for having me on the show. Um, ready to talk soccer. Disappointed Jason ain't here, but you know. Yeah, and we should mention, he'll be back next episode. Next episode will be a full Chicago Sports Bum podcast, um, White Sox, Bears, Bulls, everything else. Um, today, we're going to focus mainly on soccer. I mean, I got I got a hold of the car, and I'm driving it straight to the soccer pitch. Um, so the first headline we have is uh, the MLS announced today that the All-Star game this year will be against Liga MX All-Stars. So it's going to be... Liga MX best versus MLS best. It's going to be in Los Angeles. And if you thought the United States-Mexico rivalry was good, which we're going to talk about that game shortly, um, I thought this is just going to add fuel to the fire. And I know, uh, Chris, you're a big Liga MX follower. So what do you think about the news? Yeah, I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to be like, like they keep talking about wanting to merge the leagues ahead of, the 2026 world cup for like sort of like this like weird continental league um i think it's going to be really cool to also see like chicharito playing in like for the la galaxy against like old chivas players um it's gonna be really really interesting especially because like their mls has finally gotten to a point where i think that an mls all-star team could compete with a liga mechies like uh all-star team yeah, it's exciting. I think it's going to be cool. Um, a lot of the times, especially in previous years, the MLS All-Star Games just played against the Man United or Real Madrid and stuff like that. And people didn't take it very seriously because it's basically a glorified ex- exhibition. I have a feeling these two teams are going to take this game pretty seriously. And uh, Chris, you mentioned it. Um, these guys, uh, both League MX and MLS, have been partnering for a little bit now. I think this is the start of what you said of, of a relationship where eventually I wouldn't be shocked if it's one big league uh, between Liga MX and MLS. I, I think it's going to take a while to get there, but there's money to be made. And it seems like they're going in that, in that direction. Yeah. I mean, and like, you can even see with like American investors starting to like buy Liga MX teams. Like there was like six different people in Mesut Ozil just bought like Nakaxa because right now Liga Mekis isn't doing like the whole pro relegation right now. So for the next, I think it's like four years. Yeah. But... So yeah, they announced that, that for the next three to four years, um, there's going to be no uh, relegation. And like you said, there is outside investors buying Mexican clubs like Mizzou Ozil. And he's got like a whole group of, and, and you see this a lot in soccer nowadays, in MLS and NWSL. And overseas, where it's big, it's a big investment group headed by one guy, and and in Nakaxa's case, it's Mazil. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Wait, didn't um, I thought that um somebody else is also on part of that ownership group as well too. Um, what's her name from uh, the Housewives show, Desperate Housewives? Eva Longoria. Yeah, she bought some sort of ownership. Out. I don't know if it's that group or or some other team, but I saw her on. Uh, oh, let me see if I can find this. That, I know. I think it might be the same team. Yeah, it was uh, Eva Longoria, and uh, it was a bunch of different. I know there's like a basketball player involved as well. Um, yeah. Oh, and Kate Upton too. So Kate Upton and Justin Verlander own part of a Mexican soccer team, which is crazy. Just crazy Jeez. to talk about. But yeah, I'm excited about the All-Star game. Um, MLS is off to, uh, I guess, what I, I, what I would consider a slow start. But by the time they get going, they should be, they should be rolling. And, and like you said, it'll be the Chicharritos and the Iguains and, you know, everyone else against Mexico's best. So I, I'll be interested to see who Mexico brings out to that game. Um, I, I imagine it's going to be a lot of Chivas players, a lot of 
Monterrey and Tigres players, a lot of America players. We'll see uh, probably Guillermo Ochoa in goal. Um, who do you think from, uh, for those that don't know, Chris, your, your, your squad is Leon. Who would, uh, who would their uh, all-star selection be? I mean, if it, like, I think Rodolfo Coda will make like the backup goalie. Like he won't start in front of Ochoa, but he's like done some stuff with national Chapo Montes for sure. Like mm -hmm. he just won, he was like best player of the Apertura like 2020. Um, I think Fernando Navarro could be like a really solid right back or maybe like a center defense, center defensive midfielder, but he'll probably come off the bench. Like, and he's done national stuff too. And considering this is the Chicago sports bums, it should be noted that I'm predicting there will be no Chicago fire all-stars in attendance. No. Johnny is shaking his head. I have head. a question. Go ahead. I have a question. How did you get to uh, start following Leon? I'm Man, just kind of curious. Yeah. So when we were in Mexico, like last February, we were in Leon, uh, like all right, your grandma's house in Ocampo. And then yeah. we ended up on the day before Christy and I flew out, we saw Leon play LAFC and it was just like super intense. Like the, the sport over there is crazy. Like it makes NFL games like seem tame, like, And that was just like LAFC, like some like random, I mean, they're not random anymore. They're like pretty big, but like random American team like comes in for like Conca champions. And it was the most wild experience I've had in my life. Like people just like drinking like giant beers, like riot police ever, like people just like smoking cigarettes, like pitch side. It was crazy. And I was just so like, you kind of had yeah. the same, so you kind of had the same similar uh, experience that uh, I think Jason had when he went to go see Barcelona play. Yep. That's when he started yep. following too. So. That makes sense. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Jason told that story on a previous podcast, but he had no idea anything about La Liga or anything when he went to vacation in Barcelona and he caught, he caught lightning in a bottle because it was right when um, Barcelona still had Ronaldinho and I think it was Messi's rookie year. Um, so he's been on the Barca train for all the good years. So. And I should note it. I should have noted this is my I'm being a bad host right now. Typically, we have cousin John and cousin Javi and cousin Joel. We're bucking that trend today. Chris King, not a cousin, future brother in law. Yeah. I'm not, oh, no. Joel's been on here. Never mind. I was going to say I'm one of the first people from Chicago to be on the podcast, too. We're in Chicago. All right. <laughs> we're going to start with this stuff the Arlington Heights Bears and all this, all this nonsense. <laughs> yes, Chris King is currently living in Chicago proper, but that's not true. Johnny is on the south side of Chicago. Oh, born and raised, baby. Anyway, um, that was the only main headline for soccer. We're gonna we're gonna talk. I mean, this podcast came about because we all wanted to talk uh, Euro 2020. Um, but before that, um, the last podcast was kind of hit or miss, just because me and Johnny were watching the United States Mexico game. Um, and we got big time distracted and it ended up being an awesome game. So I ended up rewatching that game because we missed the first like 70 minutes or so I was watching it on mute. Um, and I was just distracted, obviously podcasting. So I went back, I finished the game and then I rewatched it and man, I, I talked to my father about it the, the day after that was one of the best Mexico USA games in a long, long time. And before the game started, I had tweeted, I just hope these two teams like give a shit because a lot of the times when it's a glorified friendly or stuff like that, they don't really take it seriously. But for the fact that this was technically for a championship or a cup, and I think a big part of that had to do with both these national teams really hadn't played anybody for the last 18 months or so competitively they've been there's been friendly i know the united states played switzerland recently but like a competitive proper soccer game it had been about 18 months or so and you could tell man these teams cared the fan base cared the coaches cared and it was awesome um obviously the united states won won three to two in extra time and um i couldn't be happier about it johnny what did you think of the game I mean, it's everything that you mentioned. I mean, it was it was great. It was very entertaining. It was definitely from start to finish a, um, you know, you have your you know typical stuff. And I know we're gonna get a little into it about you know the fans and all that, but um, 
everything about it from start to finish. It was a very um, entertaining game. Very obviously, it was a tight game as well too. Um, just any scenarios you could think of. I mean, penalty kicks and just everything about it was just it was just great. And it's it's good to see a United States team, and we were talking about it as well too. Like they actually gave a shit. Like a lot of the times when they would get in that situation, that would be it. I mean, they would lose two nothing, three nothing, three one, whatever, and they would just com- completely just give up. This team didn't give up. I mean, and and the stars that the, the that are overseas in Europe, Pulsic and McKenzie and Reyna, those guys stepped up, and those guys were the ones who who led the way t- to that uh, United States victory. Um, and and one of the good things I was hearing, because <clears throat> um, when I was listening to um the morning uh on ESPN Radio One Thousand, I was listening to Cap and Hood. You're hearing these guys talk about U.S. soccer as well That's too. Big. They were invested into it, and to hear that on where it's pretty much dominated by every major sports you know the both baseball teams are doing really well you know the, we got the bears you got the nba playoffs going on hockey whatever the case may be uh for them to have a segment to talk about u.s soccer and that they were invested in it, that they were watching and they were excited about it that's a good step in the right direction for a lot of people who are not too familiar with united states soccer uh as a whole. So to see that, and hopefully this is trending in the right direction where you're going to see more competitiveness out of the United States team. Um, we got a lot of good young talent that that's overseas right now that, um, and we mentioned this before, I mean, Pulsic was in, in the, in the finals and, you know, he, he, he was in that uh, Chelsea team that, that won. Um, a lot of these guys are in, in a lot of big, teams right now and that's very exciting to see i mean recent past that we, we had some players that were overseas you know they were in you know everton and and some other teams as well too follow them yeah uh, Clint Dempsey you know, and it's, Fulham. It's, yeah, yeah so now you're, you're seeing these guys in bigger clubs and that's and that's great to see uh i know we need a couple more pieces uh but overall, that wasn't a, a very exciting game. And, um, you know, I'm, obviously, I'm excited over the outcome. Uh, you just had every every little thing you could think of as far as scenarios. But, yes, I, I fully enjoyed that game. Billy, I know uh, before the game, you texted me and said, are you going to are you going to watch this, you know, like made up trophy? And I was like, yeah, um, I was kind of pretty invested in it. Um, but by halftime, it seemed like you were texting me you got into it pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, so it was like that first minute, like I'm just Mark McKenzie just like gives them the ball. And like, um, I can't remember the player that scored the first goal for Mexico, but he just like drains it like one minute in. I'm just like, Oh fuck. This is going to be just like a regular, like us men's national team. This is the same pain. I feel when I watch the fire, like got ready for it. And then like, I think it was the 12th minute. There was like an offside and Mexico got VAR to goal. And like, yeah. That was the turning point. And I think that's what like got me really invested in the game because it looked like the men started to like give a shit. Like it wasn't just like, like, cause McKenny was going box to box the entire game, which was like crazy. Cause like how high up Denver is, but yeah, I thought it was really nice to see like, like a bunch of like good youth players. It was great to see people that came out of MLS academies, like, um, I know like Tyler Adams didn't come on till the very end. McKenney came out of uh, FC Dallas, like seeing like actual talent that was played in America, developed in America that's being shipped overseas, like similar to like what Mexico is doing or like what all the European clubs are doing is like crazy for the sport because of like where it was like when MLS started and like soccer leagues would just like fold after like five to 10 years. Yeah. Um, I think it was also really good to see stars that weren't Pulisic like shining. Like it was like, Ethan Horvath coming in like post like Stefan like stopping penalties like and like it wasn't even just the penalty like the other 65 minutes he played like he was he had good a saves. great goalkeeper yeah. yeah and this is a guy who plays bench for Club Bruges like some weird Belgian team like he's not he's not starting he only plays like in like the like domestic cups over there like uh who else uh, like or McKinney like I'll go back to McKinney I think McKinney was the MVP of that game that guy he had three, he ran he that midfield three, he, three he, he, he ran, ran that midfield yeah. and we so, talked about that before 
too. Yes. Like, so yeah, yeah you, John, you both nailed it. Um, we started recording the podcast right before the game started. And basically the introductions of the podcast, I was already saying I might have to change my son's name from Landon and something else because it was two minutes in. And like always, Mexico scores first. And I was expecting a bloodbath at that point. And you nailed it. The offside call, um, if it would have been 2-0, two, two I think that game would have changed. But thank goodness he was offside. And he was offside. I saw people online saying, like, it was too close to call. He was offside. And right away, maybe three minutes later, is when Gio Reyna scores that first goal for the United States. And I wanted to mention Gio Reyna and Claudio Reyna and his mom and everybody in the stands. I think the basically the holy triumvirate of the United States right now is Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Weston McKinney. And the fact that all three of them stepped up at certain points of the game and they all scored goals, that was huge because it gives all three of them motivation. And Pulisic, for the, for the longest time in that game, he was trying, but he was kind of like he was unseen for, for a lot, lot, lot of, a lot of that game. And you nailed it. Weston McKinney ran that midfield box to box. And I think going forward, that's something he's going to have to do. I still don't think Christian Pulisic is playing the proper position for the United States men's national team. Um, I know in Chelsea, he plays as a winger um, in this United States men's national team. I think he has to sit behind the forward and kind of find the game. Let him do him. Like, don't give him, uh, give him the freedom to run around. And I think that'll bring out the best in everyone. Um, but like, like you said, um, it's just an overall performance. Uh, Ethan Horvath, man, I, I, Johnny, you text me, you said, is Zach Steffen the goalie of the future for the United States men's national team? And I think in the long run, yes. Um, but it's good to have that backup and Zach Steffen for, the most part, he hasn't done much with the United States men's national team. And a lot of it has to do with injuries and stuff like that. And obviously he got hurt this game and stuff like that. But for the longest time, especially when I was a fan of the United States men's national team, we had Casey Keller and then Brad Friedel as a backup. And that's a good problem to have because you know, that position is solidified and you don't have to worry about the backup coming in or something like that. And that's what we have now. Um, but other than that, man, th- I, like I said, I'm a, I'm going to repeat myself, but it was just such a fun game to watch. And obviously I'm saying it was fun because we ended up winning and stuff like that, but there's a lot of positive, there's more positive to go- turn away from that game than not. And the biggest one, I think it was a huge question mark coming into this game was Greg Berhalter. I thought if they got blown out in this game, there was a chance Greg Berhalter would have been fired as the coach in the national team before World Cup qualifying. But it seems like he's got these guys playing and these guys like playing for him. Now, tactically and like position-wise, I'm not sure he still knows what he's going to do come World Cup qualifying, but it's good to have. Like now we know he's the coach. He's going to be the coach all through this World Cup cycle. And we don't have to worry about that because that was before this game started. That's what I was worried about. I know this is a full soccer talk, but, um, you know, metric Bullhalter, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of Ricky Renneria. You think like, he's the coach you know, before the next coach? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, obviously, you know, a big win for him. And, you know, obviously if, if the outcome was different, you know, people would be talking and, and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, he, as long as his players, his players did not give up. And that was the one main thing. And that's something that we talked about is that they did not give up, that they gave a shit, that they were in the game throughout the whole time. Cause yes, you know, that offsides, it went the other, you know, they, they got called and um, it went the other way. The outcome could have been totally different, but they never gave up. They they kept on fighting. And that was the one thing that, you know, you want to see in a development, especially a young, talented uh, w- with a bunch of talent. Uh, you want to see the development just progress. And that's exactly what happened in, in, in this game on um, on Sunday. Yeah, I Johnny, I think you nailed it. I think for now, and especially this World Cup cycle, I, obviously it's it's Greg Berhalter's job 
Um, and he is going to develop these players. But by the time the World Cup rolls around in the United States, you know, the next World Cup with Canada, Mexico, United States, I really do have a feeling they're going to have a huge, big name coach leading that team because that's everything's leading up to that. Obviously, if they don't qualify for this World Cup, it's a catastrophic failure. But we're just in the beginning of this core group of players development. And we're going to talk about the Euro 2000s um, in a little bit. But I see this team, and I'm not saying talent-wise and anything like that, but what Belgium had eight years ago, basically, is what we are now. You know, all these young players, the average age is what? 22 at, at the start yeah, of uh, that 23. game. Yeah, it's 23. Yeah. Yep. So you have yep. basically two World Cup cycles from now to to do something with these guys. And I think the World Cup in the United States or in North America is going to be their quote unquote coming out party. So I really wouldn't be shocked if there is a huge big name head coach. Um, we've talked about um Pep Guardiola has mentioned wanting to retire in the United States and stuff like that. And I still don't think, I still think it might be too early for that. that Pep Guardiola is quite possibly the best coach in the world, but it wouldn't shock me to have a big name like that at the helm of the United States by the time the next World Cup rolls around. Yeah, it definitely should be interesting to see if, you know, I mean, I, if we're going to throw out names, you know, also too, because, you know, I'm a real Madrid fan, you know, Zidane, it would be also nice too. So, um, but yeah, that Pep would be, I would, I would accept that as well too. I mean, you, you had that with, uh, with Klingsman. I mean, he, he hits, you know, obviously, you know, it didn't work out, but it was a big name. It was a big coach. I mean, he coached Brian Munich. Uh, and the national World team. Cup champion. Yeah. World Cup champion as well too. So I mean, he, you know, they're gonna need that because it's yeah. You're absolutely right, and Belgium is a perfect example. Although Belgium had had way more talent. Well, yeah, I mean, they have world but, class yeah, yeah, talent. But we'll I, get to that. But, but I'm saying yeah, but, the youth. Yep, I, I I totally get it. They are trending in the right direction. I think probably and then not this one at Qatar, but when it, when it comes to 2026, yeah, you definitely have to hit a home run on that coach for sure. Yeah. And before we go into the transition to the Euro 2020, which oh, I'm going to fuck this up throughout the podcast. The fact that UEFA insists on calling it Euro 2020 where, when we're in 2021, and I know it's the marketing and the branding and they got the shirts and everything else. And I understand why they continue to call it Euro 2020. But the fact that it's 2021 and I'm calling it Euro 2020, it's going to I'm going to fuck it up at least three more times this podcast. That being said, um, before we transition to the Euro talk, I, I just wanted to mention Uh-oh. we've seen it over and over again. The Mexican fans in at the stadium and it's going to be a touchy subject. I don't want to say too much because I know a lot of our listeners are L3 fans and, you know, family members and, and shout out Damien. Damien's a huge um uh, he's a friend of ours, but he's a huge Mexico national team fan. Um, but what we saw at that stadium, it's nothing new, but it, it's 2021. And I'm not even talking about the chant, the, the, the offensive homophobic chant, but just their actions in general, the bottle throwing and everything else about it. At what point does CONCACAF step in? Or even their own players and national team step in and be like, act like you've been there before because you guys call yourselves Los Gigantes de CONCACAF. And rightfully so. You've dominated CONCACAF for quite literally since CONCACAF was around. But the way their fans act is, I mean, I can't put it any other word. It's disgraceful. Like, it's, I, I said it to my wife, Mexico national team fans, are quite possibly the worst fans in all of sports. Yeah. I mean, it's like the only way it's going to stop is if CONCACAF steps in. Like, I don't think like uh, La Selección or like any of like the like, heads of that are going to do anything because it's like, how much money do they right. make? Like, you walk around anywhere and you're a thousand times more likely to see like, of like a Mexico jersey versus a, like a men's jersey. Like they make all the money for CONCACAF. And I think that's why CONCACAF is like so slow to even like 
hop in and do anything because like the Peaceler was getting thrown out in that Honduras game and they didn't do like the PSA announcement until the 87th minute. Like you could hear it on the TV in like the 20th minute. So I just like, CONCACAF just needs to step in. And like, if that means like Mexico games need to go behind closed walls and like, we try it again, like in a year after and like just punish, then we do that. Or like, there has to be like other like solutions to this. Like, it's like, it's been going on like too long. And it happens in the fire stadium too. Like, it's also like, like it happened at our home opener. It was like fucking embarrassing. Like that, and it just like, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And I, the one thing I was saying, and the biggest, two of the biggest arguments they have is they argue semantics is that they don't mean it as being homophobic. There's other definitions to it, regardless, just don't say it, you know, don't say it whatsoever. And two, a lot of it is like, oh, you're just passionate. You don't understand. Like, I understand passion in sports. There's there's a there's a there's a fine line between passion and just flat out like thuggery. You can't be throwing full bottles at people. I don't care what sport that is. Like, I've England had a problem with hooliganism, and they they for the most part remedied it. I remember in the early '90s. I mean, there was riots at every soccer stadium in England and they found a way. I don't know what it was. Well, I do know a little bit of what it was, but they remedied it. One of the one of the reasons is you can't take alcohol to your seat at soccer stadiums in England. And I thought that's a great idea. If you if you want to have a beer, you have to get the beer and drink it either in one of the bars at the stadium or at least on the concourse. And I think. At some point, CONCACAF has to start thinking about doing something like that because it might not be the full solution, but it is an answer. And I know there's a lot of money to be made in alcohol sales and just in general, anytime L3 is in the United States. But at some point, you got to have to fix this situation. And at the point that it's 2021 and it's still not remedied is crazy. Yeah. Um... Yeah, what I what we saw on on Sunday, yeah, it's it's really nothing new, but it's definitely something that needs to be changed. And it's not all Mexico fans, you know, it's all not United States fans. It's not, you know, it, you have your bad apples and all that. And obviously, you know, when stuff happens, yeah, I get it. You're passionate and all that, whatever. Um, there's no reason to throw objects to these guys. When you, they actually were. Th- you know, um, the Mexico players actually were getting hit too. Yeah, he got because yeah, they, yeah. They it wasn't just Gio Reyna. It was the other guy got hit too. Yeah, it was. It yeah, they were getting hit as well too. Um, this is this is not just a Mexico thing. This is just a soccer thing in general. Soccer fans are probably some of the worst fans out there when it comes to stuff like this. I mean. I'm not going to even go into it too much with other, you know, with, with the Europeans uh, as well too. Um, but it's, it's all over the place and it does need to be fixed. I mean, the racist comments and you know, chants and all that stuff, it, it just needs to stop. I mean, there, there's no, there's no, there's no reason to, to do any of this stuff as well too. I get it. Like I said, you're the passionate, you're here of the moment, you'll be upset okay you're you have every right to be upset you you, you get, have every right to be frustrated but don't be throwing objects at, at at these players that are pretty much playing for your countries and are entertaining you know us as a whole they're they're playing for with, with pride as well too they have nothing to do with it they didn't insult you they didn't do anything to you they didn't personally do anything to you you know for you to be frustrated and throw stuff as well too i know i, I saw one comment uh, you know a very passionate mexico fan on twitter was saying that you know um what was the defender from the united states he was on the broadcast in paramount the former uh, oh, defender, oh, oh uh, Gucci and, yeah also i was saving the yeah, yeah, bum they, of the week were, there <laughs> yeah, they were talking about, you know, how he was going to go after one of the, you know, the commentators and choker and stuff like that. And it, obviously it was it wasn't like a personal like it wasn't like real, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he apologized he after the fact. And stuff yeah, like yeah that, he did. Still, he did. And there's and, passion and, on know, both sides. Yeah. And obviously you have that on both sides. And yeah, maybe he probably shouldn't say that, you know, with how it is today. Um, but yeah, I mean, all this stuff like throwing and you know, objects to the field, you know, to the players and stuff. They, they didn't personally attack you. 
they didn't do anything to you at all. I mean, that's just a, those are just bad fans. And then th- that's actually a very good idea that, that you pointed out uh, on what they do in, in England to not have any alcohol. You, you can't put it, you know, especially in, in a situation like that, you know, yeah. um, I mean, if you're, if you're going to act like that, you're going to be, you know, kids and adult, you know, an adult be, you know, don't be doing that stuff like that. Cause it has no place in, in, and anywhere um so yeah i hope i hope there's some sort of changes going around and like i said i mean it's, it's not just mexico fans i mean obviously you know um you know when they scored that goal obviously you know there was mexico fans that were throwing stuff like that but it, it as a whole as, as soccer fans in general uh there de- there does need to be some changes uh when it comes to games because it will get to a point where if if there's no changes and you, you do dumb shit like that. They're going to do it behind closed doors. They don't, I mean, as much as they, they like the money and everything like that. I mean, obviously it's a most important thing, but when it gets to a point where it's too much, they were even talking about it in the broadcast too. If, if, if they didn't, cause it's, it's a new rule now that if, you know, it's, they stopped the game because of these, you know, homophobic uh, um, chants and all that. So if, if they didn't stop, they were just going to, reset the game yeah, the following so they, day or something they like delayed the no game fans. they delayed the game what two or three minutes um and they've done that twice in concacaf against against mexico the next step is to send both teams to the locker room for 10 minutes and then after that it's either a forfeit by mexico or you replay the game without fans i don't think i don't think concacaf has the balls to do that to tell you the truth i don't even think they have the balls to get to the 10 minutes in the locker rooms. Hopefully they do eventually, but our hope is that they, they don't get to that point. Um, it just got, it has to stop. And um, it just has to, for, for the fact that it's 2021 and, we, and it seems to be getting worse instead of getting better is ridiculous. But I guess that's another topic for another time. Cause we got to get to the crux of the reason why we're here and the, the podcast in general, and that's Euro 2020 starts on Friday. Um, for those that don't know, Euro 2020 is basically a condensed version of the World Cup with only European countries. And for soccer purists, um, and I don't want to say my, my favorite tournament, my favorite thing in sports is the World Cup. Euro 20, the Euros is right behind it. And like I said, soccer purists, a lot of them think the Euros are actually better than the World Cup because you don't have the um, watered-down countries, you know. It's a lot deeper um, teams in Europe. You don't have the, you know, the Irans of the world and sometimes Australia's, and I hate to say it, but sometimes it's the United States and, and Honduras or Guatemala's or anything like that. And this year, the Euro 2020, man, this, I'm so excited for it because these teams are stacked. So I'll go through the groups first, and then we'll kind of break down each group and what you guys think uh, prediction-wise for the rest of the tournament. Group A, um, favorites in Group A is Italy, then Switzerland, Turkey, and Wales. Group B, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, Russia, Group C, Austria, Netherlands, North Macedonia, and Ukraine. Group D is Croatia, Czech Republic, England, and Scotland. Group E is Poland, Slovakia, Spain, and Sweden. And Group F, which is the group of death, and it's a doozy, man. We'll talk about this when we get to Group F. France, Germany, Portugal, Hungary. Um, that's a whopper of a group, but, um, we'll, we'll break down, um, group by group, um, group a, does anybody else have anyone besides Italy winning this group? Nope. I could see Switzerland pulling it off. I like it would be cause they only got three games to play. I think it could happen quick, but like Switzerland has like a pretty solid squad. It's a lot of Bundesliga players. So I know that they'll get shit on for that farmers league and whatnot, but like, I think Switzerland could do it, but I don't think that Italy won't. Yeah, so get the bag. I think Italy is on a mission this uh, Euro twenty twenty. Um, they've had for for their 
um, history of the national team in Italy, they probably had their worst period last four to six years. They failed to qualify for the World Cup, which was shocking because obviously I thought the United States failing to qualify for the World Cup was a was a letdown. I can't imagine what fans in Italy, which basically the 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 Azzurri is their team and it's their passion. Uh, the fact that they failed it's to life. qualify, it's yeah, it's life. Football is life. Uh, quote unquote, to quote Danny Rojas, but um, I think they're on a mission, and I think um, this Italy team is going to be formidable. So I think they're going to win the group. I do think Switzerland is going to come in second. Um, Wales, Wales is interesting because they got Gareth Bale. And I know Gareth Bale gives a lot more fucks when it comes to the national team than it does his club's teams. And a big reason why he wanted to transfer over to Tottenham is to get ready for this Euro. And he was still coming off the bench and he had some, he had some really good performances for Tottenham. But Gareth Bale cares a lot more about this Wales team than it does than his club team. That being said, Wales really only has like three really good players in my eyes. It's, it's Gareth Bale, Joe Allen, and Ben Davies. Um, and this Italy team is stacked. So as much as I like Gareth Bale, the player, and, and a lot of it has to do with me being a Real Madrid fan, um, he wasn't really that good for Real Madrid, but I did like him. Um, he won us the Champions League, so I shouldn't say that, but um it's italy's it's italy's group right yeah um yep. I, I got italy um in first place in that one i also i do have wales as my second team so okay i think okay. They, yeah i i have them i have them coming out um just like just how you said that you know garrett bale is a different animal when it's when it's the national team versus you know his uh um you know playing with his club so um yep i got italy wales switzerland and turkey as and i should mention for those that don't know um the top two teams in each group qualify for the next round and the four third place teams also qualify for next round so there's not a lot of i mean unless you're in the group of death which is quite scary there's a good chance three teams from this group qualify because i think they could all beat up on turkey which if as long as you beat your lesser foes and then maybe tie another game, you're into the next round. I, I think four points for the most part gets you to the next round. So if you're Italy, Switzerland, and Turkey or Wales, I think you're all quote unquote safe unless you lose or tie to Turkey. And then so moving on to group B, and this is where I kind of want to break down Belgium for a little while because. Johnny, I remember us having a conversation quite literally maybe seven years ago. And we talked about Belgium being in like the golden generation for their national team. Um, And unfortunately, it really hasn't resulted in big success. Obviously, they've gotten to uh, they got deep into a World Cup and a Euro, but not they didn't haven't won any trophies. And this at this point, it's almost eight years now that we had this conversation, they're almost at the last chance saloon now for a lot of these players. So Belgium, I'll break down again, group B, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, and Russia. The good thing about Belgium now is I think this is one of the weakest groups. Um, They shouldn't have any problem getting forward or or, or going on. But other than that, I'm, I'm really, really interested to see what they do once we get into the knockout stages. Yeah, they got a lot of uh, now veterans on that team uh, for sure. Um, they are the the new version of what the Netherlands are. I mean, were were yeah. Uh, I should mention were really yeah. The Netherlands used to have very good players and World Cup caliber teams, and they just always seemed to fail. I don't know what it was. You know, they always had great players and it just never panned out for them. And this is what Belgium's journey has become. Um, You have a lot of, you know, during that time, you know, especially when, you know, we had, uh, it was Belgium and the United States. I mean, that, that, I thought that team was, you know, was, it was going to go very far and which it did, but, you know, obviously they lost, but yeah, I mean, their windows shrinking um, 
right now and and this is a perfect time to hopefully you know try to try to um move even further than what they have so a veteran team i think obviously i i have them going far you know far uh but yeah your your their window is closing very fast um and it's an easy group as well too i you know just kind of real quick i got belgium denmark finland and russia in that order in that order yeah, I will mention Russia has all three games at home. So uh, real quick, I'll mention the, the this this isn't um, being played at one country, obviously because of COVID and everything like that. It's playing, it's getting played in all of Europe. Um, the host cities are Amsterdam, Baku, Bucharest, Budapest, Copenhagen, Glasgow, London, Munich, Rome, St. Petersburg, and Sevilla. Um, the semifinals and finals will be at Wembley Stadium in London. But Russia, I don't think they're going to do much. I, I think Russia, especially that World Cup in Russia, um, they they kind of surprise teams. Um, I liken it to Ivan Drago and, and Rocky Four. Russia will come out. They'll be in shape. They'll run for 90 minutes. They'll defend for 90 minutes. They just don't have the talent to to really compete with these teams um so even though they have four or three home games um i just don't see them going far i will say they can beat finland finland this is their first tournament um first major tournament i think almost ever um and denmark denmark's a good team so it'll be russia and denmark fighting for that second spot but like we said a third team can come out of this group but it's Belgium's team or Belgium's group to lose, right? Yeah, I mean, like Belgium, like this is like as you guys, I'll reiterate it. Like this is their last chance. Like most of these players, I think Romelu Lukaku is like probably the youngest guy of like that golden era. He'll be thirty-three or thirty-four for twenty twenty-six. Well, like I'd be surprised if he starts. Like all of these guys, like this is their last shot, and I think. They've got what two more tournaments and then 2024 is like the next time there's like a euro or something like a tournament that like a big tournament. So, I yeah, just so like it's Belgium, uh, their window is this euro and then the next yeah. world cup. I think they'll still yeah. be, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is still young and he quite possibly is the best midfielder in the world. The problem with him is we don't know about his health. He, he was, yep. he's been hurt. They say he's going to be okay. We don't know if that's true or not, because they need him um, to run that midfield. And I know they got Yuri Tielemans Thielmans um, as well. A big X factor for Belgium as well is Eden Hazard. I think Eden Hazard, when healthy and motivated, is one of the best players in the world. Um, that summer where Messi and Ronaldo were both hurt, Eden Hazard quite possibly was the best player in the world for a short window of four months. Um, but his, his club form, I mean, and I don't blame him. He's been just hurt. He's just had, he's been a bust for Real Madrid, but if he's healthy and motivated, I think this team could go really far. And you mentioned Romelu Lukaku. I wouldn't be shocked if he leads this tournament in goals because he's going to have, I mean, it's a it's a it's a litany of talent just feeding him balls. It, it it's John Vertogen, Kevin De Bruyne, Yuri Tiemann, Eden Hazard, uh, Mertens is awesome, and then everyone's feeding um, Romelu Lukaku. So we'll get to the the knockout stages, but like we mentioned Belgium's gonna at least win the group, right? I will even like with Belgium, like their backup midfielder, fucking Axel Witzel, like the yeah. guy can hit no of like cross across the field from like 80 yards and like put it on a dime. Like that was deep. like, he led Dortmund for that, yeah. that crazy, that run for Bundesliga, like three years ago. They're deep. They're a deep team. Uh, we'll talk about teams that have depth because I think in this tournament specifically um, soccer players, especially because the last year's shortened COVID season, they haven't really had a time off. So depth is going to come as a big plus for a couple of these teams being able to almost swap out starting 11s. And a lot of it is Belgium and France, um, I think, are the deepest teams in this tournament. And they have the luxury 
of um, really not gassing out their players because a lot of the times you see that if 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 the teams are gassed by the time you get to the knockout stages and you don't have that depth you're in trouble so let's move on to group c um it's austria netherlands north macedonia and ukraine just off the bat i think this is the weakest team or weakest group in all of uh the euros uh yeah uh for sure and um obviously the I don't think the Netherlands are as good as they 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 were in years past, um, de- but definitely it should be an e- easy run for the Netherlands uh, to be that 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 one number one seed. I don't even know to pick a two, three, and four. I just kind of lollygagged this one, so I I put Austria. And, I mean, I don't even know why I put North Macedonia as third, but no, I mean um, North Macedonia. I mean they're the weakest team in this whole. I think. Yeah, if but, Austria, uh, they should not get a point this tournament. And no offense, to North Macedonia, but they're they're one of those teams um, that are just happy to be here. Um, yeah, yeah. Bro, you're losing just listeners, like all those Macedonian fans. Sorry to yeah, all of not, our North. Yeah, there's no North, way I'm, I'm tr- North Macedonian. Right? Fans. I'm not trying to oh. set up a, a, a country. Yep, I'm not trying <laughs> to upset no country. So uh, it's no, <laughs> believe me, I'm not, no disrespect to them, um, but. Yeah, I mean, it, this should be an easy group for the Netherlands for sure. So, yeah, so um, the Netherlands, their coach, Frank De Boer, former player for them. <laughs> I, it's crazy, man. The Netherlands fall from grace. You mentioned it. They used to be, you know, the class of the Euro, and they've never really won anything, but they've always contended. And I remember, you know, like the before Patrick Kluivert's and then Robin Van Persie's and Aaron Robbins and and Wesley Schneiders, they just had talent and class all over the place. And now uh, their best player in my eyes is Memphis Depay, who really floundered at Manchester United. Um, He was really not good with Man U. He transferred out and he's been playing better. He's their forward. If he gets going, um, they could make some noise. The problem is, they got lucky. Jason, Johnny, you mentioned it. If, if they were in any other group, I just, I wouldn't expect them to win the group. They got lucky there in group C and um, yeah, they should get out of the group, but I don't expect them to make any noise. Dude, Frank, the board, the coach, his brother came out on a quote on their, in their last, um, their last friendly saying that like people would be rolling in their graves like his his own brother doesn't believe in him, so it's like, like yeah. he's in he's in he's in a hot seat. Yeah. Oh, well, and one thing they got to worry about is if they make if they, well, when they win the like their group, they may have to play the third place team from Group F. Yeah. The way that it all lines up, so, so it's like we'll talk about that during the knockout stages, and we should get we'll move this along. But um, both the Netherlands and I and I'll mention it in Group D now. Um, England. England is the favorite in Group D, and I think this English squad is the deepest it's ever been. And I know England, a lot of the times in, in, in the World Cup and in the Euros, they kind of flame out and stuff like that, and they, they seem to always lose on penalty kicks. But if any team, if any England team is ever going to make the noise, it's got to be this team. They're, they're stacked. I mean, their defense is crazy stacked. They got good midfielders. And then Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, and, and Marcus Rashford. That, that's a really formidable forward line. That being said, we'll get to it when we get to the knockout road. They're going to play another team from Group F. and they, It's just tough, man. So, um, so, yeah, Group D, Croatia, Czech Republic, England, Scotland. This is a good group. This is a really good group. Uh, yeah, I mean England right now has a, a good chance of winning this uh, um, this tournament. Yeah. Uh, one one statistic. Uh, one of my buddies I was talking about. You know, we were talking about the Euros, and he was asking me, "Do you know who who's the number one team that uh, the number one national team that that is paid the most? Their their players are are paid the most." And I thought, well. 
it's probably either Germany or or Belgium, maybe or so. No, it's uh, number one is England right now. England has got the most well paid players right now in any of the nations that are playing in this in the world. So uh, they do have a very deep squad. Uh, I have England being uh, the number one seed there in Croatia. Next, Croatia had a good you know outing the last World Cup. Yeah, uh, they're a little older, uh, so I don't really expect too much from them, but uh, still very talented uh, to go forward. And then. Uh, the Czech Republic and Scotland. Billy, who do you got? I got England, Croatia, Czech Republic, and then Scotland. I really yep. wanted to put Scotland up higher, but I don't think they'll. I, yeah, same. I, I I really wanted to root, but I mean, this is a tough group. Um, Czech, Czech Republic is just flat out like a solid team. Like like, there's no real. I mean, they got a couple stars, but they're just a solid team front to back. And then Croatia. Um, I just love the way Luka Modric controls the midfield. Um, and especially for his country, it seems like he's one of those guys where he just steps it up to another level when it comes to the national team. So I do expect Croatia to come in second. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about England just a little bit more. Um, their defense is so deep, basically. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold just went off with injury. He's not going to be at this tournament. I think he might be the best defender in the world right now. Um, and the fact that he's gone and I don't think they're going to miss a beat. They just have so much defense. And then Harry, like we said before, Kane, Sterling, Rashford, there's no flaws on this team. And the, the, the only flaw is that there's, they just caught a tough break having to play, uh, a group F winner. So we'll move it along group E Poland, Slovakia, Spain, Sweden. Um, I think Spain is in a moment right now. And I will say the big boogeyman in this whole tournament right now is COVID. Um, it, it's, for those that don't know, Spain tested positive. There's a couple players tested positive for, for COVID. Um, they're going through protocols and they're kind of isolating everyone. But so far, four players have tested positive. It's only what they're going to play in five days. Spain basically flew out another 17 players from their reserves just to get a full squad ready, just in case the main squad doesn't like, can't play. And I know they've gone through ups and downs of late, um, but I still expect them to win the group COVID or not. I, I expect Spain to win this group. What do you guys got? Uh, same. I, I got, you know, a big time supporter of, you know, if I'm talking about Euro teams, Spain, I've always loved Spain. I looked, you know, during those times when they won the 2008 Euros, the World Cup, and then uh, what was it 2012 Euros as well, too? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love the way they play. Definitely not the same team uh, back back in those uh, the glorious days of Spain, but uh yeah, definitely they should they should be winning. Uh, I got Poland going uh, as a second uh, team out of that group, okay. and Slovakia and Sweden. So, um, but yeah, I think Spain and and Poland, you know, they they should um, they should definitely move on in Group E. Who do you got? I got Spain. I got Sweden. I got Poland. I got Slovakia. Quick shout out to Chicago Fire player Premzik Frankowski. Uh, he's playing with uh, Poland right now. Uh, I think he actually starts too, which is like Shocking. nice. I mean, Calvo starts for Costa Rica, yeah, so yeah, it Calvo's doesn't mean good. fucking anything. But like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, uh, Billy, I'm with you. I, I've got the exact same. It's Spain. I got Sweden in second. And then um, Poland, Slovakia. I think um, Sweden, um, there was uh, basically, not rumors, but they invited... Um, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, uh, the tall guy, Zlatan the... Ibrahimovic. Yeah. So Zlatan Ibrahimovic was back in the fold with Sweden, um, but he got injured, and the head coach, him and the head coach, have gone back and forth for years now. Um, and the head coach basically said, "We play better without you," um, but they were willing to welcome back. They, but he got injured. And I do believe they do play better without him because they don't have to force funnel everything towards him. 
Um, so I expect them to come, come in second. And then finally, Group F, I could literally talk about Group F for an hour. It is the, I, in my time following soccer and following the World Cup and the Euros and everything else, this is the, the deadliest group of death I've ever seen. It is brutal. So you got France, the current World Cup winner. Germany, perennial powerhouse. Portugal, the current Euro winner. And Hungary, which don't sleep on Hungary. They haven't lost a game in, I believe, like 14 months. And they're 10-0 and 0 in their last 10. So I don't expect them to win a game. But they're the fourth place team in this group is no joke. So this is this is crazy how this group lined up. Yeah, I mean, I I love this group. I mean, it's it's definitely going to be the uh, the star attraction of of these groups uh, in the Euros. Um, I mean, what more can you say, France? I mean, they're 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 as stacked as. They're you the know, deepest team I've ever seen. Like, I've seen it a long, yeah. long time. Yeah, I mean, they're just stacked all over the place. So, yeah. um, Germany, I mean, it's not the Germany of, like, of the old past, but they're still great. I mean, they still got a great team. Uh, still a lot of talent on that team uh, as well, too. Um, Portugal is always, you know, is always good as well, too. I mean, you, when you ever have Ronaldo on your team, and you, I mean, you always have a nice little chip on your shoulder, so that that's always good to have. And then, um, like how you mentioned Hungary, would it be crazy if Hungary came out somewhere in between, like the second seed or third seed? That would that would probably be nuts. Because don't forget, you know, you have this group of death, but one of these teams sometimes it's very surprising. They go into a tumbleweed of of just like it just falls down you might have a friends i mean they're on all time high but doesn't necessarily mean like i have them winning don't get me wrong but yeah um but you never know you never know i mean who would have thought brazil would have lost seven nothing against germany a couple world cups ago you know i mean just who would have thought the united states would have beat portugal you never know when these group of deaths so it's just really exciting to see uh but yeah, I I got France, Germany, Portugal, and Hungary on this um this group. My worry for Germany, and I'm Germany is my favorite team. Like I'll put my biases out there, like in all these Euros. Yogi Love has mismanaged this team so, 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 so badly. He he's on the way out too. They're waiting for yeah. Hansi Flick to come over for Bayern München. Like, I'd like. Germany will be lucky if they get third place and I think they're going to do it, but I think it's going to be France for sure. I like France's their, their youth system is just superior. They pumped money into non-rich neighborhoods, like, and it built them the world cup winning team. Portugal is going to like dominate. Like I think Ronaldo, like after they lost, I think it was in February, they lost like, uh, Macedonia or something like North Macedonia or something. And it was really better. They tied. And I think that they're looking for blood. Um, I just think Hungary is like as strong as they are. Like, I just like, yeah, don't think they're going to be the whipping can. boys of the group. And uh, yeah. it's unfortunate for them. Um, I mentioned it to our buddy, Jose, shout out Jose. Cause we were talking about this earlier. Um, Portugal for the longest time was Ronaldo and a cast of characters. This is the deepest Portugal team that I could remember. Um, their defense from Cancelo to Fonte, Ruben Diaz, and Pepe, you could say about his age, but I think he's still going to be starting. Um, the midfield with Silva, Bruno Fernandes, Carvalho, and then Ronaldo actually has like partners up top with Yao Felix. This is the deepest Portugal team um, that I could remember, and I don't think they're going to win the group. And if they're kind of coming second place, which I expect them to do, they have to beat Hungary their first game. If you slip up against Hungary, your tournament gets really dicey really quick. Um, I think for three teams, the three teams that we expect to get out of this group to get out, they all have to beat Hungary. Otherwise, things are going to get really interesting. And, and there always is, you know, those upsets and stuff like that. And there's going to be a group that everybody thought was the favorites that maybe doesn't get out of the group or gets knocked out in the, uh, 
in the knockouts in the first round of the knockout stages. But I just these the three teams are so good. Um, one last thing about France. I mean, I mean, we don't have to. Talk, we'll talk about that when we get to the deeper, deeper. Because Johnny, you mentioned it. I, I got the same thing. I don't. I just don't think anybody is beating France. They're that talented. Um, and they're that deep. So let's get into the knockout stages or, or we could just go straight to the, like, you know, like the semis and, and who you have winning. Um, I'll go to you first, Billy, who do you have, um, like in the semis and, and winning it all? I mean, so for my semis, I have Germany playing England and Belgium playing France. I think that Germany gets lucky if they get that third place spot because they're playing like Switzerland or Denmark, they start off against the Netherlands. I just think that they have like the easiest branch to win, which is like enough for Germany to get all the way there. Um, but I do have them losing to England because England is stacked. Um, France, Belgium, I think it's Belgium is just hungrier. Um, like, yeah, I think Belgium goes all the way and wins it. Like, I think they beat England like 3-1, like 3-0. Like, I think they're just like ready to like stomp someone out for a major tournament. I mean, they are motivated. Don't get me. Yeah. They're they got all the talent in the world, and they are motivated. Um, Johnny, what about you? I mean, you mentioned France, but is that who you got winning? Uh, yeah, I got France winning. I, here's my final four. Uh, I got Portugal uh, versus Germany, and I got Belgium versus France. Uh, those are my those are my uh, final four here. And the way that the way it's set up, and on, on the way the Euro predictor uh, has it, uh, that would be the final four. Um, and then I got Germany and France in the final and I got France winning. Uh, would I be surprised if somehow England uh, beats France? I mean, that, that, that would be something to see as well, too. I mean, I know France is on a high, they got all the talent in the world, but sometimes, you know, it's, it, you could be the most talented team in the world and, you know, you can have that Portugal run that, you know, that, that could come up from any of these teams. So that's what it's what's exciting about, you know, this Euros is that, and Greece of 2004, who would have thought that they would have won that against a stacked Portugal team? Um, so it's definitely going to be exciting. Uh, and my, all, all my picks going to be correct. Probably not just like the NCAA tournament where I just completely botched that. But um, yeah, I got G- uh, Germany and France in the finals. I got France winning it. Same. Um, I'm actually, I lost, I lost my final four. I had it, um, loaded on my phone and then I backed out of it. So I'm doing it live. Um, let's go Italy. I got Italy beating Germany in the quarterfinals, France, and then Portugal, Netherlands. Oh, I don't want the Netherlands there. So yeah. Oh shit. Semifinals, Italy versus France. I got France winning it all. So yeah, France versus Portugal. That'll be a rematch. That's actually, a, I'll take that in a heartbeat. And that'll be a rematch. One of the last Euros and two of this group stage. I, I think Portugal is super deep. France is obviously the deepest team in the tournament. I just don't think anybody beats France. Anything else? Oh, we should talk about maybe. Um, I, well, I mentioned it already. Do you got? Do you guys have anybody specific for like golden boot or like uh, best player of the tournament? Because I got. I I think if Belgium goes far, I think Romo Lukaku is going to score a shit ton of goals. Yeah, being, he's been playing really well. Yeah, and then if we expect France to win, then Kylian Mbappe, which is right now I think the best forward in the world. So I think Lukaku, Mbappe, and Ronaldo—they um, all have a really great shot of, of winning the Golden Boot. Loki, I think Giroud is a sleeper for Golden Boot. I, I like he always gets like he he might be old as hell, but like <laughs> he like anytime he went out for Chelsea, he'd get like a brace, and like I just like think that he could him and Mbappe will be competing for goals, like because he's always in the right spot the right time yeah and we also got a harry kane if england goes far harry kane will be scoring a lot of goals and this i'll say i'm calling him a motherfucker but it just seems like in every major tournament thomas Mueller finds ways to just score bunches of goals (laughs) he's like so don't be shocked if, if he's up there as well um but yeah that's our euro 2020 preview 
Um, we went long. Billy, I told you to get some water bums and, and uh, MVBs ready. I think we're going to skip on them. Um, but we appreciate everyone that listens. If you're a soccer fan, I know there's a couple of you. Shout out Damien and Jose and stuff like that. Please download, subscribe, and and comment on this podcast because we don't know if Jason's going to let us do this again. (laughs) It took us 46 (laughs) episodes to uh, really talk soccer on the podcast, and we hope to do it again, especially with World Cup qualifiers and and stuff like that. Um, Chris, thank you for having us. It's been been a long time coming. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah um, sorry. Yeah, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, it's sick. Listen to you guys every every week. Had to watch all the cousins go first, but you know, finally my time to shine. Yeah, and and we'll talk more soccer. Uh, hopefully, we we get this thing going. Um, Johnny, always a pleasure. Likewise. And that's it for today, Jason. We miss you. We'll see you. We'll talk to you Sunday. Hopefully, we got a fresh new bumpcast for you guys Monday morning. Talking normal soccer, or I mean normal Chicago sports. Other than that, I'll wrap it up. I don't know how to wrap it up. This is my first time doing all this. Um, good night, Javi. Good night, Javi. Good night, Jason. <laughs>